morning, everybody. Nice to see you. Happy uh, Resurrection Sunday plus seven. Right, that's where we are. So good to see you. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, welcome to you. If you're a guest today, thanks for coming. And if you're not a guest, thanks for coming. Uh, that just pretty much includes everybody, right? So glad you're here. One of my great privileges uh, uh, in being a pastor, one of the pastors here at Lakeside and being able to do this for a long run with you is to be able to hear stories of you uh, doing things to love the people in your oikos, that group of people that God has placed in the front row of your life, to the things you're doing in the community, those kinds of things. I'm so proud of some of the stuff that I hear uh, about the, the acts of kindness you're doing or those kinds of things. Really, really good stuff. So way to go on that stuff. Keep after that. Today I want to... Um, before we look into Scripture, I want to just talk, stop for a minute and just kind of tell one of those stories and let you hear one of these stories. About two years ago, uh, we launched a journey called Next 10. We talked about it about a month ago. We said we'd just gone through the second anniversary of our Next 10 initiative. So two years ago, we said, let's take three years and let's see if we can raise some funds to bless our community and bless the world over the next 10 years and beyond. So we called it Next 10. And we said, let's just, let's just see what we can do to, to help people. And so we've been putting money in various kinds of funds to be able to support to things and give to things outside of Lakeside. And uh, I want you to hear one of these stories today that, where that's happening. So Sawa, why don't you come up? This is Sawa Kasabian. And a uh, nice hand for Sawa, please. Sawa is a lakesider, been with us for a long time, and uh, is also the founder and director of a group called Folsom's Hope. And uh, I'm so proud of you and what you're doing through Folsom's Hope and what volunteers and, and people are doing with Folsom's Hope. But some people maybe are newer with us, haven't really heard about what you guys are up to and stuff. So why don't you tell us uh, what Folsom's Hope is and maybe some stories that are happening among you guys these days. Sure. So, yeah, so Folsom's Hope started about eight years ago, very informally, personal journey for me, as God called me to pray, uh, bring my own children to the school here in Folsom with the highest population of at-risk students. I was not very happy to do that, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just broke my heart for what I saw there and started a journey for me of what do I do about this? And God's clear leading on what to do, which was uh, starting the next school year, he started opening doors to create programming uh, to really help come alongside these at-risk students through mentoring, after-school programming, various types of intervention to bless the school and help these kids. Yeah. yeah. So tell us something. Tell us one of the stories. I know there's some things that are happening, kind of bubbling up. Tell us one of the stories sure. that's going on. So the Lunch Buddy program that we run, runs at, uh, started at Theodore Judah. We have it at other schools now as well, and Blanche Sprints is one of those schools. And there's a little boy in that program named Jeremy. Jeremy came to us about two years ago. Um, Jeremy's mother, who uh, was strung out on drugs and had headphones in, walked right in front of a train and was killed. So a few months later, through a series of events, Jeremy was walking by himself on Broadway Street downtown and was picked up by a truancy officer and um, ended up with his great aunt, uh, who so graciously has invited him into her home here in Folsom, and he goes to Blanche Prince Elementary. So he came in September of 2014 with lots of needs, as you can imagine. He's had a very, very um, horrible upbringing. And one of the ways that we, as Folsom's Hope, were able to meet the need was to provide him with a mentor. 
So this school year, that mentor happens to be uh, one of our very young Lakesiders named Brian. And so Brian has been growing in relationship every week as he has lunch with Jeremy. And this weekend, actually today, he is meeting uh, his great aunt and great uncle to bring Jeremy to church at 1045 today. So, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, very really awesome. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, I mean, aren't you, aren't you proud of people like Brian who are engaged in a program like that? Just amazing. Yeah. So there's a lot of stories like that. We don't have time to tell all Lots, of those. Yes. But there's another story that's really been a miraculous story for Folsom's Hope, and that's the way that they have been basically given property to be able to build a building on. So Sawa, tell us that story. Sure, yeah. So that was part of God's leading when this all kind of started was really a vision for a building, which I didn't know quite what that looked like then. <laughs> um, but through the years, he's uh, been very clear that we are to build a community center uh, just adjacent to Theodore Judah Elementary. And Debbie Betancourt, our superintendent of schools, who loves Jesus uh, and has been a huge friend and advocate in this process, will tell you that about over 50 years ago, the school district purchased um, 13 acres of land at Theodore Judah. And every other school in the district has 10 acres of land. So she says these three excess acres were set aside for our purposes. And so the school board uh, will be leasing us this land for a dollar a year for 66 years with an automatic renewal to build our community center on. Yeah, so, that's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> that, just, that kind of thing just does not happen. It just yeah. doesn't happen, and it is happening. And uh, so one of my passions for Lakeside is that we would be a church that is generous to others. And um, I, I, wanna, I want us to be a benefactor for our community. I want our community to be better because we exist and we do this thing called church and we live out this thing called church in our community. And so in our next 10 fund, we've been putting some money aside to be able to say, let's, let's give some seed money to get the building at Folsom's Hope started. So Salwa today, it's a great Pleasure for all of us here at Lakeside to be able to give you a check for $300,000 to move that forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank all of you very much. Yeah, and thank you guys for that. That's, that's you following through with what you, you know, the Lord has talked to you about and said, hey, this is what I want you to do. It's you following through and saying, we're, we're going to be generous to this and make this happen. And the Lord works through us like that. So it's really cool. So thank you. Let's pray for Sawa uh, and for what's going on at Folsom's Hope, okay? Father in heaven, thank you for this woman and for her faith in you and her desire and willingness to listen to you in the steps in her life. Uh, I love the transparency of her story and that it wasn't easy to do what uh, you've called her to do. And, and yet she's hung with you and she's followed after you. So thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the property that's available and that's leased for a dollar a year. That's amazing. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the resources that you've given us to be able to share with them. Uh, thank you for what's going to happen to continue to have stories developing like the story of Jeremy. Lord, may that story, may his story be multiplied over and over and over. And would you redeem children in our community through Folsom's Hope? And Lord, would you redeem families in our community through Folsom's Hope and the th kinds of things that they're doing. Lord, bless Sawa. Keep your hand on her. Help her to lead that ministry forward with great faith and great strength. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank right, you. God bless you.
it's an interesting thing in my perspective. I don't, I don't understand how this works, but it's an interesting thing to be proud of someone uh, whom you haven't raised. You know, I understand being proud of your children, right? There's, there's people that I'm proud of in my life. I'm proud of my grandson, by the way. Do you want to see pictures? That was last week. Sorry, don't, don't make me go there. But I'll try and bring some for next week. <laughs> I'm proud of him, and I haven't raised him at all. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know how that whole thing works. I'm proud of my daughter as I watch my daughter raise and care for her little son. I'm proud of her. It's amazing, again, as some of you know, to watch your young one raise her young one. That's just weird. But I'm proud of her, and I'm proud of my other kids. And uh, there's certain people in my life that I go, I, I have a right to be proud of, you know, you because I had some stake in your life, you know. But then I look at someone like Sawa, and she's let me have a little bit of influence in her life, you know. And, and I'm so proud of her and what she's doing as a follower of Jesus in our community. And then I hear stories about the rest of you and, like, you're doing this and you're doing that. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know if I get to be proud of you, but I'm proud of you anyway, you know. I'm not even sure exactly how that translates, but... I'm proud of what you are doing and what the Lord is doing in your life and through your life into the lives of others. And I see a lot of beautiful things, and so I'm, I'm proud of all that stuff. And I know when you look around in your life, there are people that you're proud of, and that's beautiful. I think that's a, just a good human uh, process to be able to go through with others. But I want to turn that concept kind of on its head a little bit for you today and ask you a question of whether you're proud of not some people, not proud of someone, but I want to know if you're proud of something. There's a concept that comes in the Bible called the gospel, and I want to ask you this question. You who are followers of Jesus, now some of you are not yet followers of Jesus, I understand that. You're coming into church to figure out who God is, and you've been investigating Jesus, and you're, and you're sure that you're not quite there yet, or you're like, I, I don't know if I'm really going to put my faith in Jesus or not, and you're just seeking him out. God bless you. That's fantastic. And we will do anything we can to help you move forward in that journey. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus, I want to ask you this question. Are you proud of the gospel? Are you proud of it? Do your, does your chest bulge out a little bit when you go, I am. It's the gospel. It's all about, you know, it's my love for Jesus. And like, are you proud of the gospel? And it's a little bit of a weird question. No one's ever asked me that question. I've really never thought about it before this week uh, or before getting ready for this series. But I just want you to think through, and I want to help you think this through. Are you proud of the gospel? So we started last week on Easter. We started a series that's going to run in, in sort of a broken up fashion. But it's going to run from now through, through Thanksgiving. And it's all based on Paul's letter to the Romans. So... If you're not familiar with Scripture, the Apostle Paul wrote some letters, and he, and he wrote them to churches primarily, and he said, here's what you need to do to grow up in your faith in Christ. And so we're just going to walk through his letter to the Romans over the next several months. And the whole series long, for the, whole, for the like half a year or whatever, is going to be called Good For You, because the gospel is good news. It's about the best news ever, right? We talked about that last week. If, if, if the best news ever lands in your life, it has to change your life. That's just how it works. There's no option. You can't like, oh, I'm not going to let that do it. It it can't help it. If it's the best news ever and it lands in your life, it is going to change your life. So the whole series is called Good For You. And then this part of the series that we're doing from now through right before Mother's Day, I think, uh, this one's called Downpour. 
Because the first part of Romans is talking about the idea that God, when someone comes and puts their faith in Jesus, God sends a downpour of gifts into your life. A downpour of grace into your life. A downpour of peace into your life. And you don't always feel it. You don't always sense it. It's not like my, my life as a follower of Jesus is always really smooth sailing and full of peace. I don't always feel it, but God's peace is always there. I don't always sense it, but God's grace is always there. He pours it out on us. And so as we get started in this journey, we're calling this part of the series Downpour. And it's a downpour of grace that comes from this thing called gospel. And I want you to think about this question. Are you proud of the gospel? If you have a Bible, uh, pull it out. Let's look at Romans chapter 1 together. If you don't have a Bible, there's someone on the row near you. You can use one of those. Uh, if you've got your smartphone or your tablet or your laptop is good, uh, you, can, you can open up version. And there's an app on your phone called Uversion. It's got uh, the Bible on it. And we've got some notes there under the, the section called Events. And you'll find Lakeside Church with today's date or this weekend's date. You can follow along there if you like. Or you can just listen. Here's Romans chapter 1. Just a couple of verses in this space for now. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul writes this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel... Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in, it, the go- for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is, from, that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You can turn that around in a different statement. You, can, you, you could say, Paul is saying, I'm proud of the gospel. And I think what he's got to be saying, if, if, if Paul's proud of the, of the gospel and he's an apostle of Jesus, well, then Jesus must be proud of the gospel. And in fact, God the Father must be proud of the gospel. He's the one who designed it. He's the one who dreamed it up. And so here's God, and he's proud of the gospel. And then you have to ask yourself the question, am I, am I like them? Am I proud of the gospel like Paul is, like Jesus is, like God the Father? Am I, am I proud of the gospel? Which raises some other questions for me that I think we have to address. Number one would be, what is it? What is the gospel? I mean, how would I know if I'm proud of it if I'm not really sure what it is? So we found out again last week, gospel means good news, means best news ever. And specifically, uh, the, the scriptures say, this is what the gospel is. And I want to, you can keep your finger in chapter 1 of Romans and then turn over a few pages to the right and come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here's another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the town of Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, starting at verse 1, Paul explains the gospel for us, puts it in a summary version for us. It says this, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, And then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 
Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. He goes, I just want to tell you what the gospel is. You ever have people, you ever have religious people come to your door, knock on the door, ring the doorbell, and then want to tell you about their religion? That ever happened to you? Yeah, sometimes. And do you ever get a little bit overwhelmed? Like, I don't know what to say to them. I'm a religious person. I have faith also. And, and they don't know everything they want to say. And you go, I don't know what I would say. Paul goes, look, you want to know what to say when someone comes to your door and says, what do you believe? Or here's what we believe. And you go, I want to tell you what I believe. Paul says, give them a summary. Give them a short form of the gospel. It goes like this. Christ died for our sins and rose on the third day. Boom, drop the mic. That's it. That's the whole thing. Christ died for our sins and he rose again on the third day. Now he says there's some extra stuff that might help you so that you kind of you have some confidence when you tell somebody else that's what the gospel is. He says, look, it was prophesied in the scripture. He goes, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Like the scripture already said that was going to happen. Jesus didn't come and make this stuff up. It was already in the Bible. It's already prophesied. Oh, and then just to, just to make sure that you knew that this is actually true, they buried him, which proved his death. You don't bury living people. Although there are some people that believe that Jesus got into the tomb and he was beat up and broken and crucified, lost most of his blood, but then he somehow got up from, you know, kind of revived, rolled the stone away, and then came out and looked so refreshed and revived that he, you know, he would say, I'm alive, follow me. And people actually did. That would never happen. He died. And they buried him. That was proof that he died. It's not hard to figure out. And then the next part of the gospel says, and then he came back to life. That was resurrection weekend. That was the whole story of Easter. It's like he came back to life. Yeah, but you know, how do you know? We, they didn't just make that stuff up. Well, you know, it was, it was all prophesied in the scripture in advance, according to the scripture. Yeah, but how do you really know the scripture was, was right? Well, he showed up. He appeared alive to people. There's a lot of things you can shoot at with the gospel and go, oh, I don't believe that, or I don't believe that, or you know, whatever. There's a lot of people that, things that people might have objections about, but you have, to, you have to prove the resurrection didn't exist if you don't want to believe in Christ. He died. He rose on the third day, and he appeared to people at one point more than 500 people at one time. That's the gospel. Jesus died. To take our sins away. And he rose to give us life. Paul goes, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm proud of that. Are you? See, when that life-changing, life-giving message lands on a person who says, I will trust in that. I will trust in a God who gave that. It changes you. It changes your life. And Paul in Romans chapter 1 said it's the power of God to do that. The gospel is the power of God to change your life. Well, if all that's true then, and Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he's asking us, Are you, you know, is it possible that you're ashamed of the gospel? There must be some things that might make you ashamed of the gospel. And I don't, you know, some of you might be sitting out there and go, I don't even understand the question. Of course, I'm, of course I'm proud of the gospel. I love the gospel. I love Jesus. I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, all right. There have been times in my life when I'm called on to give the gospel and I find it's 
hard to say it. Because I know the audience that I'm giving the story to might be skeptics. Or they might have a different view than I have. And sometimes it's possible for me to, to feel embarrassed about this message that I am called on to give. Like some of you, some of you work in high-tech uh, companies where you are designing the latest bleeding edge of technology and you work with people that are computer scientists or engineers. Some of you work at Aerojet and you are rocket scientists. Like, like, like that's the epitome of in intellect, right? And you are surrounded by really, really smart people. You are surrounded by rocket scientists for Pete's sake. And you believe in this this thing called gospel, you believe in, that Jesus died for our sins, you believe in sin, and it's possible to feel like a second-class thinker among other people who are very smart but don't believe you're Jesus. And I don't know if that happens to you, but it's possible. It's possible to feel like an unsophisticated relic because you believe in a man who lived and died 2,000 years ago. You believe in a religion that is covered in blood. You have a faith in which hymns have been written, like there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. I know when you say it like that, you're like, that's sort of embarrassing. And that's not scripture. That's just a tune and a hymn that somebody wrote, but it's about blood. And when you think that Jesus Christ died for your sins, it's about blood. And it's possible to be ashamed of that aspect of your faith like you're some unsophisticated relic in this world. Or it's possible to be a follower of Christ and simply feel like a chump. I mean, I, I'm trying to live the gospel. I'm trying to do the things that it says. And I know, I know it's all about Jesus died to take my sins away and he rose to give me life. And that's the deal. But along with that deal come expectations, come callings, come teachings, come things that Jesus said, I want you to follow my commands. Well, really, like which ones? Well, like love your neighbor. Well, why do I have to? Nobody else is. Or like love your enemy. Well, nobody does that except me. Because I'm following out the gospel and... And, you know, you should, you should give a tithe of everything you earn. You should give 10% to the church. Like, well, why do I have to do that? People that don't go to church don't have to give that kind of money. And it's possible to live out the gospel and feel like a chump. Because you're doing the things that nobody else is doing. It's not very far-fetched to think that even people that are lovers of Jesus might be ashamed of the gospel for certain reasons. What's fascinating is Paul gets that. When he writes to us, he gets that. And I don't know if Paul ever had any twinge of shame about the gospel, but he knows that we do sometimes. Brene Brown has a really helpful definition of shame. She said, shame is the painful feeling of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. When you sit among your rocket scientist co-workers and they don't believe intellectually the things that you believe, it's possible to feel that you're flawed and you're therefore unworthy of love and belonging. 
when you're trying to live out the gospel in ways that nobody else seems to be living out, it's possible that you feel flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Which is fascinating in itself because the gospel is all about the idea that we're flawed. Isn't that what sin is? The gospel is all about the idea that we're flawed and we are totally worth love and belonging. That's why Jesus came. But we get distracted from that sometimes. And then it's possible to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul, because he understood this, he wrote again in the letter to the Corinthians, he wrote in chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he said this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are not yet following Jesus. Then skip down to verse 22. He said, Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Paul describes two great conceits of humanity. One is that we have power. Two is that we have intellect, and we can rule the world with those. He said the Jewish people, they're the kind of people who love power. They love signs. Like, show us a sign. The Pharisees were always coming to Jesus and going, show us a sign. They love power. The Greeks always love wisdom. Like, hey, let's tell a new story. Let's, let's, uh, let's invent a new idea. Let's discuss that together. Both of them want to rule the world by power or by intellect or some combination of both. We still today live in a culture of power. And the gospel enters into our world, into a culture of power. And into that culture of power, the founder of our faith said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Give up power. See, the gospel is counterintuitive to the culture of our world. It goes against the grain of the culture of our world. Our world says, grab all the power you can get and hold on tight. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you have to learn to be the servant of everybody. In our world, we have the arrogance of the academy, the academy, the, the educational institutions declaring to the world, this is what's true, this is what's false, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. And yet Jesus, our founder of our faith, said God is the arbiter of what's right and wrong. God is the arbiter of what's true and what's not. We have a cult of celebrity in our culture. We love the Oscars. We love people walking down the red carpet. We love looking at you know, the, the fashion that people wear and how they look. We love celebrities in our culture. Nothing wrong with fashion, nothing wrong with looking good, but our Savior, in the act that he took to save us, died naked on a cross. 
We have an instinct for self-preservation. Yet Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you will lose it. We love self-help and do-it-yourself. Jesus said, you can't do it yourself. We live in a culture that wants to be its own God, where people want to be their own God. And the founder of our faith said, there is only one God, and you are not him. The people of power in our culture stumble over the gospel. The people in the academy often ridicule the gospel. So many people in the world reject the gospel. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of it. Are you? See, if you're someone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've somehow decided to put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the capacity to be proud of the gospel. And there's one reason. There's one thing only that will make you proud of this story of Jesus. It's when you go back to Romans chapter 1 and you recognize what Paul said is true. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation. Word power meaning the capacity, the ability. It is the ability of God to save people in this world. It's the only thing that has that power. And as Paul says, we believe the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes. I believe it. I want to live for it. I want to help other people live for it because I look at my own life and I realize how much I need saving. If you look at your life and you don't need saving, you don't need the gospel. But as I look at this world and how the course of life goes in this world, every single one of us needs saving. I look at my own life and I realize how much I need saving. I needed it when I was a child. And a woman gathered us in her living room and told us the story of Jesus. And she said, how many of you want to go to heaven when you die? I'm like, I'm smart. I do. <laughs> like, what, what's my other option? No, I'll take this one. I'm, I'm in, right? Yeah, I'm in. And I knew when I was eight years old that I needed something to save me. I didn't know all the ins and outs. I had no idea what was going to be revealed about my life as I went through the years. And how much more I would understand that I need saving later on. But I knew I needed saving. And see, when the gospel comes into your life, it saves you. In three different ways. Number one, it saves you from the penalty of sin. When we come to Romans chapter 3, we're going to find this little verse that says, For the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. If it's true that every one of us has sinned, then the payment for every one of us is death. I don't want to pay that penalty. 
I'm going to need somebody else to pay that penalty for me. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why the first half of the gospel is Jesus died for our sins. To save us from the penalty of it. Theologians call that justification. When Jesus saved me when I was eight years old because I trusted in him, uh, the, the theologians would say it's, it's, it, he made it now just as if I'd never sinned. I was justified just as if I'd never sinned. I love that little phrase. There's no penalty for me anymore. I will be with Jesus in heaven one day without the penalty of sin because Jesus already paid it. That's the power of the gospel to save. I'm not ashamed of that. Jesus saves us. The gospel saves us from the penalty of sin. The gospel also, and this I need even more today, the gospel also saves me from the power of sin. Anybody here ever have temptation? Three? What, are you afraid I'm going to call on you? What, are you afraid I'm going to come down there, put the mic in your face, go tell us what it is, tell us what your temptation is? I'm not, because you might turn the microphone back on me. It's, that'd be so embarrassing. But there are temptations, I bet. This is true, because I think we're all pretty much wired in the same way. There are temptations in your life that grip you. And the temptations that grip you might not be the same temptations that grip me. But they grip you. They follow you around. They stalk you. Do you know those temptations? There are two or three temptations in my life that stalk me. And I need to be saved from the power of those temptations. The gospel is the power of God to save you from those stalking temptations. The, the gospel is the power of God to be able to release you from those temptations. That's pretty amazing. Nothing else in this world would do that. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I need to be saved from the power of sin in my life. The Bible calls that sanctification. To be sanctified, it's a process. That's, that part of salvation is a process that we go on from the time that we are justified when we put our faith in Christ until the time we reach heaven, whatever that, whenever that comes. I need to be saved from the power of sin. I need to be sanctified in my life. I need to be, I need to be saved from those stalking temptations that haunt me. And then I found out there are some temptations, they don't stalk you, they just show up surprisingly. You get those too? Like, I, like you're walking around, you're walking through life and everything's fine and all of a sudden, wham, you got hit by a temptation and you succumbed to it. You had no idea that was coming. I've had one of these lately. There's a person in my life, I will not tell you the whole story, maybe someday, but not today. There's a person in my life who God has put in the front row of my life. And some things have happened, and I realized here recently that I hate this person. I'm not just mad at them. hate them. 
I'm not a hater. That's not one that stalks me. It just, it just came. I believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And the gospel gives pathways to walk, to deal with those kinds of temptations. I have followed a path of confession to specific individuals in my life to deal with this temptation. And I have to tell you, I think God has released me from that set me free from that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it has the power to release you from the power of sin in your life. And Paul knew that too. That's why he said it. I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Are you kidding me? He set me free. You have, you have, I bet, temptations that have sneaked up on you in your life and they jumped out at you and all of a sudden you went, oh, this is true of me. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to save you from that. Gospel has the power to save you from the penalty of sin. It has the power to save you from the power of sin. And it has the power to save you from the presence of sin. The Bible calls that glorification. That happens someday when we get to heaven, when heaven comes to us and we are with God and we are with Jesus face to face and we become like him because we are with him face to face. And we will be glorified with him. We will be made without sin. We will be living at that point without the presence of sin around us. That's the power of God. That's the gospel. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of it. That's my story too. I'm proud of it. If you're a follower of Jesus, he invites you to be proud of it. To know that the gospel releases you, rescues you, saves you. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you've been thinking about him and you look at your life and you've got these temptations and these sins that are chasing you or stalking you or shadowing you and you can't seem to get free, tell Jesus you'll trust him. He will save you. That's his promise. That's the power of the gospel. Jesus, thank you for this. I love you so much. I'm so grateful that in my life, your gospel has power. I'm so grateful, Lord, and my friends here who are living out their faith in you so beautifully. I'm so grateful that they trust you with the gospel and that you have saved their lives. And Lord, I want to pray for those who maybe are just thinking about you. Maybe they're just considering who you are. Would you move them across whatever line of faith or blockage of faith there might be? Would you move them right across that to the place where on this day they could say, Jesus, 
I'm in. I trust you. I need a savior. Lord, I trust you for these things. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.